Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, it's a beautiful day. Thanks for joining us to church today. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Today we're going to finish up a message that we started last week, which if you take out your notes, it's called Raising the Next Generation. I read this online this week and got such a kick out of it. It's from a lady named Laura. She says, after moving to the country, my three-year-old daughter and I were often alone in our house because we lived in a rural area with no close neighbors. I wanted to make sure my daughter would be able to call 911 in the event that something happened to me. After instructing her, I decided to test her. Okay, what would you do if you found me on the floor and you couldn't wake me up? I could see her little brain working. To my surprise, she finally said, I would go into the kitchen and eat anything I want. (laughs) Last week, uh, we discovered that the number one factor that determines whether a kid is going to make it in life, whether they're going to succeed or whether they're going to tank. The number one factor is not the neighborhood they grew up in or economics or many of the things we might immediately think of. The number one factor is the presence of a caring adult in that child's life. If there's a a present caring adult in that child's life, the kid is much more likely that they're going to make it. It doesn't have to be a parent. It just has to be someone who cares, a friend, a Rockbrook for Kids teacher, a small group leader, a fellow Dream Team member. It makes a difference, a coach, somebody. And you can actually help shape the future and determine the destiny of a child's life simply by loving them. You don't have to be cool. You don't have to be talented. You just have to value them and show them that you value them. Notice on your outline on Proverbs 24, 3. Let's read this out loud together. It takes wisdom to have a good family and it takes understanding to make it strong. Wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding. Where does wisdom and understanding come from? It comes from God. It comes from God's word. That's why uh, in these messages, we're looking at five things, five principles that bring out the best in kids from God's word. Now, last week, we covered the first two. I put them on your outline. I won't preach them again or cover them again. You can hear that at rockbrook.org or anywhere you listen to a podcast. You can find Rockbrook Church there. But we said that the first two principles, if you're going to help bring out the best in your kid or a young person, is you have to accept their uniqueness completely, like who God made them to be. That at the end of the day, you're accepting who God made them to be, not who they pretend to be, not who they want to be, not who they think they should be, but you're accepting the core of who they are. And we talked about some enemies and things that push against that. But number two, we affirm their value constantly. Now today, we're going to look at three more ways to bring out young people. And this is really where it becomes work. Like we put this in the work sermon series for a reason, because this takes effort, this takes work. And the next three really help push against three big mistakes we can make as parents. As parents, three mistakes that we can make are we overprotect, we overcorrect, and we overindulge. 
So we overprotect, meaning we paint an inaccurate view of the world. Next, we overcorrect, meaning we don't train and discipline the right way, and we overindulge. We make them the center of life. And the next three principles from God's word actually deal with these. So uh, number three, after you've accepted their uniqueness, after you've affirmed their value, number three, you might write this in. We trust them with responsibility increasingly. The way we help them grow is by entrusting things to them and putting trust in them, giving them responsibility so that they can become response-able, able to respond. Responsible means you're able to respond to the things that are being thrown at you in life. And if you never have the opportunity to to respond, how are you going to learn how to do that? And unfortunately, many kids grow up to be, they become adults and they've never had any practice in how to respond to things in life. And then now they're having to do this for the first time when the stakes are the highest when the financial decisions have the most consequences, when the relational decisions, the stakes are the highest and they haven't learned how to respond in life. This passage has become somewhat of a theme verse of this series. It's in Luke chapter 16. You can pull that up in your Bible or on the notes you were given or uh, you can download the Rockbrook app that's free to you and follow along there. But one of the biggest goals of your life is to help kids become responsible citizens, responsible Christians. The whole goal of parenting is to move a child from dependence on you to independence to dependence on God. Utter dependence on you to independence to dependence on God. How do you do that? I believe Jesus gives us three ways in Luke 10, 11, and 12, where he says, whoever can be trusted with a little can also be trusted with a lot. And whoever is dishonest with little is dishonest with a lot. So there's something we can take away from there. He goes on, if you cannot be trusted with worldly riches, then who will trust you with true riches? And if you cannot be trusted with things that belong to someone else, who will give you things of your own? Three things I believe we can see in there is first, we trust them with small things. Whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with a lot. So at the very beginning, you start giving your kids very early, you start small, you start giving your kids responsibilities. This can begin even before they know how to talk. You start giving them responsibilities to clean or or what have you. You increase it over time. And as they grow, here's the key. This is a leadership principle, but it is a huge win for parents. You delegate, you don't delegate tasks and chores. Instead, you delegate the responsibility. Don't delegate just the task or the chore, delegate the responsibility. Here's just an example or an idea of what that might look like. Don't give your kid the chore of the dishes. Give them the responsibility of the dishes. Like, they've gotta tell you when you're low on soap, get more sponges. If a dish breaks, you show them how to clean up the glass, where to go online or in the store to replace the dish. When the dishwasher breaks, 
They watch the YouTube video with you of what's broken and how to fix it. They go to Lowe's with you to get the part. Or if you've got to call a maintenance person, you put it on speakerphone. They do the phone call with you. The person comes over. They experience that whole thing together and learn that whole thing together. You delegate the entire responsibility. Now, it's not that you're advocating your responsibility to say, oh, I don't really like doing the dishes, and now that I have kids, I don't have to. Like, they get to do it. No, it's what I'm suggesting is actually harder work because you're including them in the process, training them in the, in the process. Last week at the National Day of Volunteer Youth Ministry Training, which is a simulcast that we hosted here, uh, one of the trainers, one of the teachers, made this statement. It really hit home with me. It's that teenagers aren't human becomings, they are human beings. Sounds simple, but the reason that is so relevant is that teenagers live isolated lives. In our culture, teenagers no longer have the opportunity to live in the world as an apprentice adult. And on-ramps to adulthood have been shut down. It's no longer you work in the garden or on the farm or in a profession with someone and learn that thing and learn how to respond as an apprentice when uh, you can see the consequences it doesn't all fall on you what happens is on ramps to adulthood have been shut down and so instantly someone's an adult and all of a sudden all the consequences all the weight is put on them they didn't have the opportunity to learn and so when you integrate teenagers into the life and the health of your family everyone wins the same here at church When we integrate teenagers into the life of the church, everyone wins. When we're serving on teams together, when we're leading teens in worship, when teens are leading us in worship, when we're serving side by side uh, with multiple generations, when we're being encouraged in our faith together, it's a powerful ministry to young people when they get to learn, when they get to rise up to be apprentice adults, when we trust them give them responsibility, and learn how to handle it before all the weight and the consequences are on them. Number two, he says, don't just trust them with small things, but trust them with possessions and with money. Material possessions, uh, money, the, the world, or the Bible calls this worldly wealth or worldly possessions. And Jesus said, if you can't be trusted with worldly possessions, Who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Now, I don't have time to break down this whole passage, but basically it's saying God is watching how you and I handle our money to see if he can trust us with more stuff, with more important stuff, because money is not the most important stuff. Amen, somebody. And he said, if I can't trust you with material blessings, money, possessions, how can I trust you with spiritual blessings and influence and power in the kingdom of God. Money is the acid test of, do I realize that it's all from God, my life is a gift from God, and I'm just the steward and the manager of it all. And I'm trying to to make the most of what I've been given. And that is, money's the acid test of that, and it's the true principle in life, it's also true in parenting. So you start letting them earn money, manage money, help them know how to give it, how to save it, how to spend it, how to steward a possession. Because a lot of succeeding in life 
is being able to manage things that don't belong to you, right? Like your job, your work, uh, you're managing a project that someone else came up with most of the time. In, in job, you're stewarding, managing uh, an, another project, another thing that you were told to do. Much of school, you didn't come up with the assignment, they came up with the assignment, and you succeed when you steward that assignment as though it were your own. And that leads to success in life. There's a third thing that we can do to um, help increase responsibility, and that is trust them with things that don't belong to them. You trust them with things that don't belong to them before you give them their own. Before you get your own guitar, let's see how you handle somebody else's guitar. Uh, you know, in our house, we played drums that we'd pulled out of the dumpster and learn, learn how to play that. You learn how to play, show that you care about it, treat that right, then we'll move up to something else. Before you get your own car, you handle somebody else's car. Before you get your own anything, this is true in ministry, before you get your own ministry, you serve in somebody else's ministry. Jesus said, if you cannot be trusted with things that belong to somebody else, who will give you things of your own? Now, there's a balance here. Obviously, when your kids are first born, you are totally responsible for everything in their life because they can't do anything. And that's why God speaks so seriously when you harm a child or do the wrong thing by a child because they are, they're in your care. But you start moving them further and further into responsibility. And one of those responsibilities is resourcefulness. People don't learn resourcefulness unless you give them the opportunity uh, to solve problems. If you solve every problem for your kid, they're not going to be resourceful. Also, if you just hands off and let them do it all by themselves, uh, that's not kind, that's not leading, that's not parenting. You have to let them be an apprentice in solving problems. And the only way you can do this is by giving opportunity to fail. And all of us, we have this deep-seated fear to keep kids from failing. But failure is not fatal. Failure is not final. It's okay to fail, and you don't have to protect your kid from failure. More than that, you can't. Like, friend, it's not if they wreck the car. It's when they wreck the car. Amen, somebody, right? It's not if they break something. It's when they break. It's not if they fail. It's when they fail. And it's okay to fail, and we don't have to protect them from all the bad feelings that go with it. Sometimes when kids fail, we immediately want to cheer them up because we don't like to see someone we love feeling bad in a bad mood. But, but they've got to learn how to deal with that feeling and learn that sometimes things aren't rewarding. Things don't work out. And the, the only thing you learn, the only time you learn that is when is to face it and process it and to do that under the guidance of an adult. And that's the way to succeed. Success is finding out that didn't work, that didn't work, that didn't work, this works. And that's when you find out in life, uh, people are not always gonna be kind and they're not always gonna do the right thing and people let us down and work is not always fulfilling and life is not fair and it's tough. And if, if we protect kids from all the feelings, all those experiences, they go into with a distorted view of the world. Now here I've been talking, I would say in these kind of broader generic statements I've been making mostly probably about teenagers here. I will say about younger kids, 
and I'd imagine you'd agree with me on this, that there is something to extending a child's childhood. Kids are exposed to far too much way too soon in our society right now. And a loving home does give them shelter from those things. But over time, at appropriate ages, you give them more responsibility, you expose them to how you deal with those issues, how you answer those questions, how you deal with those things, and the world that they'll be in. You might say, well, I don't have kids in the home anymore. What's, what's my responsibility for adult, adult children? I'll say this. You're responsible to your adult children, but you're not responsible for your adult children. The decisions that they make are on them. You don't have to wear the shame, carry the weight of all the decisions that your adult child makes. And sometimes adult kids will mismanage their responsibility. You're, you're responsible to them and to help them, train them, love them, but you're not responsible for everything that they decide to do. Let's go to the fourth principle. The fourth principle of bringing out the best in young people is correct without condemning. Now, we all need correction because every single one of us, you and I, our kids, everyone has a natural inclination to do what we want to do rather than what God wants us to do. And none of us is perfect and we all, I need correction, you need correction. And of course, young people need a lot of correction. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, verse 12, let's read this together. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child whom he delights. Notice the correction is not punishment. The correction's out of love. Why does the father correct a child? Why does the mother correct a child? Because they delight and love that child. They want the child to succeed. Now, I'm gonna say something that may shock some of you. But if you are God's child, God does not punish you. If you are in God's family, If you have put your faith in Christ, you have stepped across the line. You see, everybody's created by God, but not everybody is in God's family. Anyone can be, but you enter that family through faith, through the work of Jesus Christ. So baptism is the doorway into the family of God. And when you identify with Christ, you are in the family, in God's family. And if you're in that family, God never punishes you when you sin or do something wrong. Why? Because Jesus took the punishment on the cross. You are freed from the punishment of sin. You see, karma is not, it's not a thing. That's not God. God operates in grace. You are not punished when you do a wrong thing, when you sin. Punishment, notice here on your outline, Punishment looks to the past as a penalty that you've got to pay, you've got to do your time for the past. Discipline is correction for the future. That when you do something and something bad happens and you're like, well, God must be getting even with me. God does not get even with you. He's already paid for your sin on the cross. The punishment has been paid in your place. As a parent, what we we do is don't punish for the past. We want to correct for the future That's called discipline. That there may be consequences that you might have to live in and have to be sorted out. But there are some, I mean, you can find so-called experts who really reject the idea of any kind of discipline in the home. But Proverbs 13, 24 says, a refusal to correct is a refusal to love. 
Love your children by disciplining them. You discipline them, why? Because you want them to become disciplined. Even more than that, you discipline them because you want them to become a disciple. And a disciple is one who gives up their own way, turns from their own life, their own way, and follows God's way and follows Christ. And if someone is raised to always get what they want, always uh, do what they want, decide who they are and what they should be and what they do, that person's gonna have a really hard time giving up their own way to follow what God wants them to do. People have to learn to, Jesus said, deny yourself. What does deny yourself mean? Well, each one of us have already denied ourselves today. I denied myself today when, like I don't always feel like getting out of bed when the alarm clock goes off, right? I, I never feel like getting out of bed when the alarm goes off. Well, how am I standing before you? I had to deny myself to get out of bed and do the right thing. And you grow and grow and grow in that, and that's called discipline. That's called being a disciple, denying yourself to do what God wants. We gotta learn it in more and more areas of life. Now, how do you do this? How do you correct your children without condemning them? Making them feel ashamed or harming them or their emotions, their relationship. Um, in, the, in the sports world, this is called criticizing the, the performance, not the performer. Criticizing the performance, not the performer. That people want to be coached, especially young people. They wanna be corrected, they wanna be coached, they wanna get it right but they shut down when you start criticizing who they are or making them feel like they're the problem. No, that you're, you're criticizing the performance, what they've done. So here's a couple ways that you can avoid that. First, never correct in anger. Drinking around your kids, being physical with your kids, it's not an option. All it does is create anger in return. Because you reap what you sow into that relationship. And if you express anger in unhealthy ways to your kids, they will be angry with you. If you are negative about who your kids are, they're gonna be negative about who you are. If you are oppressive and try to control your kids all day long and make every decision for them, they're gonna be manipulative back to you. It will be mirrored back to you. And honestly, I say this, uh, in love and humility, because I'm still learning as a parent. It's very vulnerable for me to teach this with young kids, right? And, and that's why I've included a lot of scripture in these outlines. I hope you walk away with something from God, not something from me. But a lot of disciplining we see from parents today is really parents just getting even with their kid. It's you embarrassed me, and so I'm going to make you pay for it because I don't want to be embarrassed. It's you didn't do what I told you to do, and so now I'm gonna get even with you. Uh, you did what I told you not to do, and I'm gonna get even with you. And it might make you feel good or feel like you did something, but it's actually harming the relationship because you can scare people into doing almost anything, or you could, from anger or fear, you might be able to change their behavior in a moment, but you're damaging the relationship long-term because they're gonna remember that temper. And it's not your kid's fault that you can't diffuse your own temper. And they're gonna remember that hit. They're gonna remember what was broken, what flew across the room. They're gonna remember the damage it does in a relationship.
The other way that we correct without condemning is we choose our words carefully. I get this from Ephesians 4.29. Let's read this one together too. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, when a kid uh, opens up to you, which you never know when that's gonna happen. I mean, like they tell you what they're dealing with in life, what's going on in their head, the temptations that they're facing. Maybe they uh, talk about, you know, a wrong choice they've made or something. You never know when that's gonna happen. You can't plan for that. It's not like, hey, it's six o'clock tonight before the Chiefs game. We're gonna really open up to one another and have a good talk. Kids don't operate that way. You don't know when it's gonna happen. And often, it, it almost never happens in a face-to-face conversation or certainly a face-to-face confrontation. It happens when you least expect it, normally when you're side-by-side, like in the car, when a kid's in the back seat, you're in the front seat, or they're in the passenger seat, and you're looking at a windshield, they'll open up then, or you're working side-by-side on a project, and, and you don't know to be ready for it, so you just have to be ready when that door opens. And it's not gonna op- be open for very long. And if they open up to you and tell you about a temptation they're facing or something that's going on in a friend's life or at school that you didn't know about, if all of a sudden you freak out about what they just said, the door closes and it stays closed for quite a while. So as a parent, you have to learn how to master freaking out on the inside so that no one can see it. And your response to them, the words to them, have to be, like you gotta put it in perspective. Friend, the world's changing, but there's no new sin, okay? It ain't changing that much. And what they dealt with, you dealt with, and what they see, you saw, and you just respond, you know what? You could say this, I knew you'd be dealing with that. You know why? Because I knew you'd be a sinner. Because <laughs> I'm a sinner. You tell them, you know what, I knew you would struggle with that because uh, a lot of people struggle with that. And your work is to keep the door open as long as possible. Yes, there might be correction that comes from it. Yes, there may be consequences that come from it. But you want to keep that door open and say what builds them up, encourage them for the future. What we're talking about, whether you've had kids or not, or, this is about influencing future generations. There's one more point I I want us to look at. We'll write this down. How to bring the best out in kids or anybody else for that matter is we love them fiercely and unconditionally. Loving fiercely means you learn to offer forgiveness, to ask for forgiveness, to accept forgiveness, to forgive yourself, to live in a spirit of forgiveness. Yes, a a child can be disciplined and be working through consequences but still experience forgiveness from you at the same time. That doesn't have to wait. It can be instant. Friend, if you have a hard time forgiving yourself, you're gonna have a hard time forgiving your spouse, forgiving your kid. That's why um, I tell everybody to, at some point in your Rockbrook journey, make Celebrate Recovery a part of it and work a step study and learn how to to let go of yesterday so you're not reacting from things in the past. You can respond to the present. That you don't, 
you can let go of yesterday and see the future and be able to respond in your marriage, in your kids, in your family in the right way. But if you haven't learned how to forgive yourself, it's gonna be hard to offer it to other people. There's no secret to a great marriage except this. A great marriage is the union of two great forgivers. If you're great at forgiving, you'll have a great marriage. If you have a hard time forgiving, you'll have a hard marriage. If, you have, uh, if you're great at asking for forgiveness, you'll have a great marriage. If you have a hard time asking for forgiveness, you'll have a hard marriage. A good marriage is two great forgivers and you have to learn how to ask for it quickly, how to offer it completely, how to forgive one another. Ephesians 4, 32. This one, last one we'll read together today. Be kind and loving to each other, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ forgave you. Just as God forgave you in Christ. Now, how did God forgive you in Christ? Instantly, completely, freely. He didn't say, I'll think about it. He didn't say, well, I'll wait till all the dominoes fall and all the consequences play out and you've changed everything. No, it's completely an instant and we've got to learn to forgive our kids the same way. And maybe you need to ask for forgiveness from your kids to say, you know what? Dad hasn't always gotten this right and dad's learning too. And I'm sorry, I didn't, I I shouldn't have said it that way. I know I said that. I'm sorry because I didn't mean it. Would you forgive me? And you teach them how to ask for forgiveness and how to forgive. You, how do you love fiercely? You forgive. This next verse shows us how to love someone fiercely. That is you never, ever, ever, never give up on them no matter what happens. That's real love. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. Now the fact is we all have failures. And so we need someone to, who won't give up on us when we mess up. And we all need someone who points us to the grace of God. I love this word from God in Isaiah 54.10. And one of the ways to remind your children of this is you just bring God into it. When, when they've got to ask for forgiveness from you, you tell them, you know what? Uh, you don't only need forgiveness from me, you need from, get forgiveness from God. So we're gonna go to God together and confess this to him and ask for forgiveness from him. And you show them the love of God because even greater than the love they need from you and the forgiveness they need from you is the love they can receive from God himself. Isaiah 54, 10 says, even if the mountains heave up from their anchors and the hills quiver and shake, I will not desert you. You can rely on my enduring Love. He goes on to say it's a covenant, a covenant love that we know that cannot be broken in time, space, or eternity. Human love wears out. It has its limit. That's why we need God's love. You see, you could be the best parent you know. You could have, you know, all the things we've talked about in this series. You could have uh, the greatest marriage of any couple you know. Uh, You could manage money better than anybody else you know. You could have the strongest work ethic of anyone and succeed in your job. But friends, none of those things meet your number one problem in life because every day you wake up, your number one problem, the number one thing you need is the love of God and salvation from God. You can get all the rest right, but if you don't have the love of God in your life, what's the use? It's all secondary issues. 
And to be a great parent, a great partner, be a great professional, to be a great person, you need the love of God in your life. Proverbs 14, 26 says, reverence for God gives a man deep strength. His children have a place of refuge and security. And your kids and the young people of Rockbrook have a place of security because they know we have reverence for God. Because we're accountable to our Heavenly Father and we've received His love. I'll give you one more note to write down and we'll pray about this together. But it's to say, am I going to do, because of the love of God, am I going to do what's popular or am I going to do what's right? Because here's the good news. I'll give you this and we'll pray. The good news is God has never given up on you. And God will never give up on you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? As we close in prayer, uh, let's just thank God for these five things of how he does them in our life. God, thank you that you accept me completely. You accept my uniqueness. You made me unique. You don't want me to be somebody else. You want me to be me. And say, God, thank you that you affirm my value constantly. Anytime I look at the cross, sing of the cross, I see that you died for me. You put your spirit in me. And I, God, I thank you for trusting me with choice. You let me make choices, even though I often make bad ones. You've given me the ability to respond. And thank you, Lord, that you correct without condemning, that you don't punish me for the past, but you correct me for the future. And most of all, Lord, we thank you that you love us fiercely, that you forgive and you never, ever give up. And so, Lord, help us to do these things. Help us to do these five things with the young people in our life. God, I think of all the young people that uh, this room right now will touch. We will go out, all of us, to be with our kids and kids' friends and school, all the young people that we will be in contact with, hundreds of them. I pray that they would uh, experience love and acceptance and that we can do these five things for them. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.